0: So we're in we're in Daniel. Um, Alan Burris got to lead you guys the first week into the first part of chapter one. And then Tom came down and did the second part of chapter one, and I really love both of those, and so I was slightly resentful that someone else got to do that besides me, but I get to do it today. And chapter two is a fun verse, a fun chapter. So we're only going to get through about half of it this morning. Uh, my friend Quentin Bemis, who's the worship leader up at East, has been chomping at the bit to get to preach down here. So he's going to be here next week, and he's going to get to lead sort of the fun part of chapter two. I get the I'm going to make it fun for you, the first part of chapter two. So, those of you who are just joining us for the very first time, uh, just a real quick recap of where we are in the story. So Daniel and his friends were taken captive out of Jerusalem when Babylon came in and overpowered the kingdom there and took captives back, and Daniel and his friends were, were sort of death marched back to Babylon, uh, about a three-month journey on foot, and uh, they were removed back to King Nebuchadnezzar's palace where, where they're now sort of undergoing this this um, reprogramming re-education process um, he gets a chance to sort of demonstrate God's power to sort of the low-level authorities there in his life and uh, in chapter two he gets to encounter for the very first time his his boss uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who who Tom described as a terrorist last week which was a was a Pretty big word. I, I've always thought of him as a tyrant, but yeah, he's a he's a pretty bad, pretty bad dude. We've, have you all had bad bosses before? Any bad boss stories? I, I read this this week, so uh, it's a little comic strip, and it it's this guy standing in front of his his boss, and the guy the boss says, "Hey, I heard from your supervisor that you worked so hard yesterday that you actually collapsed for twenty minutes." And I just want to say, I'm not paying you for that 20 minutes. <laughs> I've been very lucky. I've not had a ton of horrible bosses. I had one. Um, it was a female boss. I don't think there's any, any correlation between bass bosses and female bosses. But, but her expectations of me were never actually spoken. And then you would think you would understand what she wanted, and then the next day would be different. And rather than talk to me directly, she had her boyfriend, come and talk to me and try to... It was just... Those are hard, hard expectations to meet. So whether it comes from your boss or from your boss's significant other, unrealistic demands and expectations can affect our life and our job satisfaction. There are three ways that we experience unrealistic demands and expectations. The first one is just um, to us from others. My boss sort of had an expectation... Um, and, and that I receive that expectation from her, then it's from, for example, so um, you all have an expectation of me this morning. You, you hope that I'm going to be uh, somewhat informative, maybe uh, humorous. You hope that I'm going to be done by noon. I have some expectations on you. So so we receive expectations from others, then we have uh, expectations we put on others. We have those expectations of ourselves, too. I want to sort of stick with the plan and not deviate too much. I don't want to say something that I have to be beeped out. Um, So I have an internal expectation, and then then I have some expectations that I'm putting on you. and I, I expect that you guys are going to be super engaged, there's going to be lots of amens and shouts and maybe waving some handkerchiefs and some bulletins up in the air when you're so inspired. And, and th- that's probably an unrealistic demand and expectation. But, uh, but I, have it, I have it nonetheless. We all deal with unrealistic demands and expectations. Now, because I have no children of my own, I find the parent stories of their children's unrealistic demands and expectations hilarious you know we've all been in the grocery store where some child is just making demands that the parent is not prepared to meet and the public meltdown i love those just so you know if i see your child doing that i'm i'm having the time of my life i found a few of these this week that i thought were funny so what just seeing kids meltdown is hilarious don't you think (laughs) so here's here's right there oh yeah that's precious so, so, here are some parent stories of their, of their children's meltdowns. This one, my toddler lost it because the imaginary door on his imaginary fire truck wouldn't open. <laughs> and he was stuck inside. <laughs> this, is, this is a good one. Our daughter cried because she didn't get to go to her parents' wedding, which was seven years before she was born. <laughs> My kid screamed at his balloons for an hour because they wouldn't stop floating. I love this one. My son wanted me to wrap him up like a burrito for bed. I did, but he was upset that I wrapped him like a bean burrito. He cried, I want to be a chicken and rice burrito. (laughs) And this one, I wake myself up laughing about this last night. My kid flipped out because... The cat cheated on the game they were playing. <laughs> so if you are a parent of a two-year-old, you know what it's like to have a boss with unrealistic expectations. You can relate to Daniel this morning. Daniel had a horrible boss. Here's an example from history. Seventeen years after Daniel was taken captive, King Nebuchadnezzar appoints a king to rule in Jerusalem, a puppet king. His name is Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, if he had just kept his head down and did what was asked, he'd have had a pretty cushy job. But Zedekiah gets a little fool of himself and he decides to rebel. Well, punishment is swift and effective. Zedekiah is captured and brought back to King Nebuchadnezzar's court along with his, his sort of cabinet of advisors and all of Zedekiah's sons. And while Zedekiah is watching, King Nebuchadnezzar has His entire advisors and all his children killed in front of him. And then, right after the last one was slaughtered, he takes a hot sword and gouges out Zedekiah's eyes. So the last thing he sees is his, his family and friends being murdered. And then he has to live with that memory the rest of his life. So I don't know. I feel like we should just stop right now and just say a prayer of thanks for our bosses. Because none of them are as bad as Nebuchadnezzar. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, Daniel, chapter two. If you got your Bibles, fact there's one there's some over there if you don't have them uh, daniel is found about three quarters of the way in your actual bible bibles if you guys have real bible bibles uh and if you're looking for it that a, uh, uh daniel's one of those books that i i was telling them i i sort of find when i'm looking for something else it's one of those books you have to sort of tree it back there in the back and and it requires a whole hunting process um a little camo helps um, but it's back there, and if, if you're looking for it, if you're near Ezekiel, you're really close to Daniel. If you're at Hosea, then you've gone too far. It's in page 1075 in my Bible, and it's in if you've got one of these Bibles, it's page 967. Uh, but if you're lazy, you can just look at the screen up here. We'll have it up here for you as well. So Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. First verse, in the second year of his reign... Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Sounds like he had recurring dreams. You guys, anyone have recurring dreams? One of my recurring dreams, I had it really up until almost, oh, two weeks ago that I was in school. I couldn't remember my locker combination, so I was carrying all my books around with me. And to make it sort of more awkward, I decided I didn't need to wear clothes that day. Does anyone else have dreams like that? It's all right. We're all messed up. It's all right. I'm the only one. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, there's flying dreams. Anyone have flying dreams? Someone said that they said, yeah, I, I love the flying dreams. It, takeoff is always hard, but once I get going, dreams really great. How about falling dreams? You know, it's not true. You won't die if you, if you fall in your sleep. You will wake up with your heart beating. Uh, So a lot of these dreams are very common, and they're so common that lots of books have been written about trying to interpret them. Then there's the weird dreams. So I was telling someone uh, about two weeks ago, I had a dream that I was renovating one of the old buildings downtown. I think it was the Elks Club building. But my plan was to put in a chicken noodle soup restaurant, which is a very specific type of restaurant. (laughs) And someone asked me, says, well, what? in the dream, we're having this conversation. I said, no, 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 it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Maybe we'll expand, but maybe not. Maybe it'll always just be chicken noodle soup. We have crazy dreams, don't we? There are the dreams where we wake up in a sweat, our heart is beating. Maybe it's something to do with your kids or your grandkids or the power going out. Um, the king's dream disturbed him so much because he was convinced this wasn't an ordinary dream. The dream had something to do with the future, and the future was uncertain, and it scared him just a little bit. So the scriptures indicate that, that, that once he had awakened from this dream, he couldn't go back to sleep. And it sounds like that over the course of time, he finally just got to the point where he, where he, couldn't, he couldn't deal with it anymore. His life was being affected by this lack of sleep. And so this one night, he wakes up, his, his heart is beating in his chest, his sheets are soaked with sweat. And he says, you know what? Enough is enough. I have people to handle this. And so he does. He summons his people. Verse 2. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. It's sad, but it's true that if we don't, we don't have a good source of information, we, we look for it in weird places. It's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. These magicians were also scholars. The enchanters were people who probably had something to do with sort of um, interpreting the zodiac and the stars. Uh, sorcerers would have been people who tried to contact the dead. So there's a lot of evil, dark, demonic stuff happening here. There were astrologers who studied the stars, and, and sometimes one of your, your translations may use the term Chaldeans, and uh, they didn't just study the stars, but they were considered wise men. And, and Dad and I were talking several, several weeks ago now, and uh, one of his commentaries brought this fact up that I thought was really interesting. You see, 600 years after Daniel, some wise men from the east will journey to Bethlehem, and they will visit a child whose star had appeared in the sky. And by that time, Babylon, Babylonia had become Persia, and... Um, And scholars believe that it's probably because of Daniel's ministry and Daniel's influence in the courts of Babylon with these Chaldeans that they would even be aware of the uh, Jewish prophecies of a Messiah. So it might very well have been that the descendants of these wise men were the very wise men who showed up at that baby Jesus. So when they came in, um, it's early in the morning, so they may still be rubbing their eyes. They stood before the king, and he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. So sometimes we get unrealistic demands from others, and sometimes we set ourselves up with unrealistic demands and expectations. I'm a CASA, Brittany was talking about that, and, and I have recently had a situation that was just, just sort of heartbreaking, and just head-scratching, and you wonder what you can do, and there's question, you question your, the way you made decisions, the, the things that, um, how you're interpreting things, and it just makes me question my ability to even communicate effectively with, with some of my CASA kids. But these unrealistic demands that I place on myself, because ultimately, people... Make their own life choices. These unrealistic demands come from two places pride and a desire to control. The pride says this, all evidence to the contrary I've got this, I can handle this. And these astrologers and wise men made the same fatal mistake. They said, Tell us the dream, we can interpret it. We all want to look good in front of people, don't we? Employees want to look good in front of their bosses. Dads want to look good in the grocery store when their kids are melting down in the produce aisle. All the judgy moms looking at them. Coaches want to look good in front of parents and other teams. The wise men wanted to look good in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. We all want to appear wiser, smarter, stronger, deeper than we really are. And that's a dangerous type of pride The second issue is control. Nebuchadnezzar saw a dream that made him anxious about his future. And if he could understand the dream, he could perhaps understand and control the future. I don't know about you, but I can identify with these. I don't want to look stupid in front of people. This morning, I was up here and Cheryl Payton comes up and she goes, Tim, you've got a big rip in the back of your pants. I'm like oh, I mean, is it a big rip? Because I've walked around with rips before. And I reached behind and I realized, oh, yes, it is a very big rip. (laughs) So she felt awkward calling it out, but I appreciate the fact that she did because otherwise you all would be wondering to yourself, has anyone told him that he has a big rip? In the back side of his pants so roger thankfully we got some gaff tape and it's my pants are actually taped up right now and and it feels like they're holding so i was spared <laughs> i was spared a lot of embarrassment but we want to look good in front of others we want to we want people to think that we've got it under control that that we're smart enough and by golly people like us the king wanted to appear kingly and in control the wise men wanted to appear wise and in control and because their primary motivations were pride and control, they walked right into a bad situation. So the third, the third way that we, we experience unrealistic demands and expectations is that um, are those that are placed on us by others. So you guys have done pretty well with my demands and expectations but um, I think we can all identify a situation like this. I know wait staff, if you work in a restaurant, you can identify with this. It happened several years ago. I was up in Bloomington after church, and I went out with some friends. And we met someone that I didn't really know, but, um, but charming, gregarious people. But he wanted to sort of be the, the, the host with the most for some reason. And... Um, in his effort to ensure that everyone had the best possible experience, he he made life miserable for the wait staff. And this was after church. The place is hopping. The wait staff is doing their very best. And, and nothing seemed to come fast enough. It wasn't hot enough. It wasn't good enough. And uh, at one point in time, he was going to call the manager. And I'm like, oh, this is like the most horrific experience. And then the waiters are. Delivering the food and he wants to pray, and I'm like, don't pray, you know. Be a jerk all you want, but don't drag Jesus into it, you know? <laughs> like, oh. This guy put some really unrealistic demands on the wait staff. And the king puts this very unrealistic demand on his magician team. Verse 5 says this. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. Does that sound familiar? We know Nebuchadnezzar actually utilized that form of punishment at some later time. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. It sounds like a mafia boss. He is a terrorist. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And once more, they replied, well, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Hmm. This is literally the boss who expects you to read his mind. I want you to interpret the dream, and and here's the catch. You, You have to tell me the dream first, or your life is worth nothing. Verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And, And underline this if you've got your Bibles or make a note of it. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. And this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were also sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Here's a couple of lessons. In life... (laughs) You've got to learn to expect the unexpected. Here's the deal. Not a single one of those wise men should have been surprised by the king's behavior. This is a king who has no guardrails on his emotions, no constraints on his wrath, and serving in his court may be rewarding, but it is a daily gamble. So for them to be surprised at his behavior is a little bit disingenuous. We tend to be so surprised when people act unreasonably, but we shouldn't be. Like I said, next week, Quentin's going to come down and preach. He's going to preach the second second part of this chapter, and he's going to talk about how we can prepare well for the unexpected. So don't miss it. The second thing, expect the unexpected, and then don't overreact. When the wise men rightly brought up the fact that they could not read his mind, the king clearly overreacted. When frustrating things happen, Take a deep breath. Don't overreact. It doesn't help the situation at all. Don't leave the room and slam the door behind you. Don't barge into the office with your resonation in hand. Don't make stupid threats. Don't overreact. Because here's what we read in the scripture. That kind of overreact, overreacting never stays just between the two of you. There's bleed over, and it begins to affect other people besides just you and the person you're upset with. The fallout from your blow up can hurt other innocent people, unconnected to the issue. Daniel and his friends were going to be killed as well, and and they hadn't done anything. So instead of overreacting, stop, look, and listen. If we don't want others to make unrealistic demands of us, then we need to be very careful about the demands that we put on others. We need to be patient and reasonable with our expectations. Tom reminded me this week of that parable of Jesus in uh, in Matthew 18. The king is owed a debt by one of his nobles. according to some interpretation, it was up to a million dollars when Jesus tells the story. A million dollars is owed to the king. And the king goes to his nobleman and says, I need you to pay me the debt that you owe me. And the nobleman says, I am so sorry. I cannot pay the debt. Please, please, please forgive me. And the king forgives him. And then the story continues. (laughs) The nobleman then goes to one of his servants who owes him hundred dollars, and the nobleman says, "I need you to pay me right now." And the no, and the, the, the the servant says, I, "I don't I don't have I don't have it," and the nobleman throws him in jail because he can't pay. When the king hears about it, of course, everything breaks loose, and the nobleman is is justly punished for his inability to show compassion and grace to someone after he himself has received compassion and grace. So, be willing to expect of others only what you are willing to expect of yourself. Be reasonable and be merciful. And pray and seek God's wisdom because life sometimes just is unreasonable. The other thing is just to consider it from another point of view. You know, we've been really hard on King Nebuchadnezzar right now. After all, he's a terrorist and a tyrant. But but honestly, he He makes a point. These wise men claim to have divine wisdom, and if it really was, then asking them to prove it wasn't totally crazy. His reaction was ridiculous, but his request had a little touch of reason to it. Being called out for not being quite up to the task can be humbling, and it can be humiliating. I've been there. I speak from experience. Sometimes the criticism is deserved, but that doesn't make it any easier to handle. Franklin Jones wrote this, and it's true, honest criticism is hard to take, especially when it comes from a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, or a stranger. It is hard to accept criticism when you've done something wrong, and it's, it's even harder when we're trying our best. And the king's counsel, let me defend them just a little bit. They were only doing what they were trained to do. They were trained to hear a dream and interpret the dream, and then to have the rules changed. Well, that's just not fair. Now, thankfully, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't send his girlfriend in to tell him this. He dealt with it himself. But the application is this. How well are we at seeing things from someone else's perspective? Can you put yourself in the Wiseman's shoes this morning? Can you put yourself in your boss's shoes? How about your spouse or your two-year-old screaming toddler? How about the waitress at your favorite restaurant? Because knowing how you feel when it comes to unrealistic criticism should make us more cautious when we feel like criticizing someone else comedian Steve Martin said before you criticize a man you should walk a mile in his shoes that way when you do criticize him you'll be a mile away and Bob you have his shoes Amen. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a Bob joke to me for some reason So this week we approached this from the perspective of the astrologers and magicians. We looked at unrealistic demands and expectations from, from their experience. And next week we're going to be unpacking Daniel's experience with unrealistic demands and expectations. And spoiler alert, Daniel spends a lot of time in prayer. And he didn't use prayer as a last resort or some sort of superstitious activity. He prayed with the full expectation that God would answer him. And that only God could save him from a crazy situation. So do you pray like that? When there's no earthly answer, it doesn't mean there's no answer at all. The magicians of the court were wrong on many accounts. But on one issue, they were supremely wrong. Do you remember what they said? Only the gods could accomplish this, but they don't live among men. But that's not true. Jesus is the evidence that God does indeed live among men. And he can bring victory out of the most unrealistic situation in your life. That can only happen when you're a genuine follower of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says this, But to those called by God to salvation, and that includes all of us here this morning, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Did you catch that? the power, and the wisdom. I think about my control issues, and when I submit them to the power of Christ, I can be at peace even when I don't know what's happening next. I think about my pride issues. When I think about the wisdom of Christ, I can submit my darkest pride to Him and humbly recognize that God has got this. This morning, all over this room are people who would love to pray with you. It can be about work, it can be about your family, it can be about your health, but all these prayers are going to have this in common. They're all going to point you back to Jesus. He's the only one who can offer a way, a hope, an answer in the middle of life which can be just full of unreasonable demands and expectations. There's an old song, I alluded to it earlier, "'Tis so sweet." To trust in Jesus. Can we just stand? We're going to sort of close with that. Just a reminder that it is sweet and good to trust in Him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise just to know thus saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust thee how I've proved him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust thee them Father we thank you that we do not need to um, we don't need to look at the stars we don't need to uh, interpret the entrails of sheep and goats we don't need to consult uh, ancient books of um, magic or astrology to find the answers to our life we, we turn to you uh, you have the words of life the apostle said and it's true Apart from you, we we wouldn't know what to do or where to turn. So we thank you that you have committed to us. We commit to you this morning. Help us to see see these situations through different eyes this week and give us grace and patience with those we come in contact with. We pray in Jesus' name.